Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to another episode of the Holistic Healing with Lori podcast for long COVID, ME-CFS, and fibromyalgia, and other chronic illnesses. I'm your host, Lori Rivers, and today we have another truly enlightening segment for you. We're revisiting a conversation that I had with Dr. Boone Lim during my long COVID and ME-CFS Holistic Healing Summit. And this interview was actually one of the most popular interviews in the whole summit. Dr. Lim is a distinguished cardiologist and an expert in the field of heart rhythm disorders. And he has been instrumental in understanding and addressing the cardiovascular implications of long COVID, which can also be applied sometimes, a lot of times, to MECFS. In our conversation, Dr. Lim shares his knowledge of the heart's role in these conditions. He talks about also POTS and the significance of a holistic approach to healing and the interconnectedness of our body systems with the mind and how we approach our lives. And his expertise and insights are truly enlightening, and I'm excited for you to hear what he has to say. So let's deep dive into this particular segment from the full conversation with Dr. Boone Lim at the Long COVID and MECFS Holistic Healing Summit. I hope you enjoy. So tell us about your origin story. How did you become to be interested in this specific area of medicine in Long COVID and even in dysautonomia or cardiovascular issues? Yeah, I think it starts from my PhD, where I did a research degree at Imperial College studying the role of the autonomic nervous system in relation to cardiac arrhythmia. So at that time, nothing to do with syncope or long COVID, not COVID, but autonomic dysfunction syndromes, principally postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, in which there's an overlap and, and your viewers will know what I'm talking about. But throughout this PhD, I, be, I became very fascinated with the kind of intricate neural network. And then the next peaked interest came when I became a heart math coach, where I trained in the technique of heart math, where we use this little blimp, uh, which has a PPG sensor, a pulse batismogram, to detect and to ascertain your heart rate variability live. And I became quite uh, good at, if you like, becoming a performing seal, because I would, I would clip the heart math clipboard and I would show you a demonstration of uh, an enhanced coherence. Uh, that I could snap into because I came into this with a background of, if you like, practice of Tai Chi. My brother's a yoga instructor, but I've always understood the benefit of regulating breath. And so to see it live in front of your screen, either on a mobile phone or laptop, when you're breathing and within one minute to be able to switch your autonomic nervous system state from that of sympathetic dominance to vagal dominance and a strong coherence where there's a balance between, if you like, the two core components of the autonomic nervous system, so-called yin and yang, I think you can bring yourself into a really centered healing position. And this is what I was manifesting in my day-to-day -day life. So that became a fundamental part of who I was, but I wasn't able to express that fully in terms of my Western reductionist approach with patients because all they wanted to know is help me with my palpitations, dark chest pain, shortness of breath. And actually, initially being afraid of talking about this stuff because they expected an echocardiogram, a Holter monitor, a CT chest or CT cardiogram. 
So moving slightly away from that into talking about patients, drivers for their behaviors, the symptoms became one of my passions. And in understanding the common behavioral patterns that would drive and perpetuate an illness and, and whether that be hypertension, obesity, metabolic profile, I, I think became quite good at picking up the kind of tension that somebody would feel within and picking up a flavor. So I had my autonomic antenna up like that. And I would know when somebody was sympathetically charged or energetically in the sympathetic domain or whether they were pretty vagal. And what I was finding is with the COVID pandemic, with the background of my clinical lead role for the Imperial Syncope Unit. So I work in Imperial College London, which is based in West London. And I run the syncope unit where we do tilt table testing. I see a lot of patients with autonomic disorders, including POTS. I saw a flavor of long COVID patients presenting with autonomic dysfunction, sometimes meeting the criteria for POTS, sometimes being subtenable for POTS, but I was looking at their physiology. And that was very interesting for me to see because there was something tangible about the way they would behave when they were tilting upright. And that got me interested in a narrative initially focused purely on blood pressure and heart rate changes, but of late more and more into the more holistic approach. Yeah. So in the summit, we are taking a holistic approach, which I appreciate the more traditional Western medicine approach as well. But I do think that bringing the two together in order to look at all the, in order to look at the body as a whole is very important. Can you give us a definition of dysautonomia? Because certainly POTS falls under that qualification, but what are some of the other symptoms that people who are watching might be experiencing that fall under that umbrella of dysautonomia? Sure. So I think to break that uh, phrase down, dys means dysfunctional. Autonomia is the autonomic nervous system. And so for those of the audience who hasn't who have not heard of the autonomic system. It's a bit of your brain, which is quite primitive and quite basic and maintains the homeostatic mechanisms that control all the things we don't need to think about, Laurie. So these are things like blood pressure, heart rate, temperature, peristalsis, which is the contraction of the gut, lacrimation, the production of tears. And these are things that you don't have to think about, and it occurs automatically, typically very well maintained in a homeostatic stasis, which means nicely balanced. Now, dysautonomia is when your autonomic nervous system is dysfunctional, which means that it cannot, can no longer maintain those homeostatic mechanisms. And I would say the examples of the autonomic nervous system systems that we talk about are very obvious when I've said it, but there are systems that are or less obvious uh, systems in the body that have a strong influence from the autonomic nervous system. And I would suggest that the immune system is strongly affected by the autonomic nervous system. It's one that we don't talk about a lot, but you can only think of yourself or myself. And I can only think when I'm on call three days in a row, four hours sleep, stressed like mad, a lot of emails coming through, that after three days, I'll get a I'll get a sniffle, a cough, cold, flu-like symptoms. And all I need is two nights of sleep, rest, recovery, and I can boost my immune system through centering my autonomic nervous system. So the same thing happens with chronic stress, which can depress the immune system. And you can see how 
eating certain conditions, not nothing to do with COVID, but psoriasis, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, eczema, which my daughter has. The stress level, independent of sleep or anything else, just attention in school, for example, can cause an allergy to flare-up or an eczema patch to flare-up. And this may be not obvious to the individual that they go and see the doctor and the doctor says, oh, that looks like eczema, have a cream, without asking the question, what's going on in your life? Yeah. And I also find it interesting because I know that a, a lot of people who have ME-CFS, it is post-viral, but for some people, it develops over time or it develops after a traumatic event that they've experienced. And, and then they develop ME-CFS fairly severely after that traumatic event. So it's interesting to take a look at, like you said, what the stressor is that is the straw that breaks the camel's back there. Yeah. I, I think that's a very good narrative. And, and if I may bring in this concept, which is quite an interesting one, it's called a polyvagal theory. And, and it's something that uh, is, I think had a resurgence of late. And I've certainly been quite taken by the fact that we can think of our autonomic nervous system, not as two components, but potentially three. So one sympathetic and two vagus. And the way I would explain it is, there is a nice graph if you draw an X versus Y graph and a line like that with increasing amount of stress, this direction, you get increasing efficiency. So this is the typical person who goes to work, likes a bit of tension and you're slightly outside of your comfort zone. You can even call it flow actually, where the level of stress that gets you slightly outside of your comfort zone makes you function at a very optimal level. And then you go like that. And then what happens is that you ask in a finite amount of stress and you don't become even more efficient. You reach a plateau. And at that plateau stage, I would call that the incipient stage of failure because you're running on a high. And so this is the adrenaline state that most people, even before an insult, probably are living in. And this is the experience that I have from the patients that I see with long COVID. I don't see a lot of patients with ME and CFS. I'm not an expert in ME and CFS, but long COVID and patients with POTS, for example, often if you ask, what were you, what was life like immediately before you had the virus, you will dredge up a lot of tension. So typically my patient is a patient who may have two or three children who are younger, let's say between one and seven, or staggered teenagers to toddlers. They are holding down a very high-flying job. They are holding down a spouse with a very high-flying job. They're keeping the house nice and tidy. They are wanting to go for their weekly exercises, tennis classes, yoga, pilates. And they have to attend to all these needs in the presence of a growing family and a household that comes with that, household management that comes with that. And at some point, something breaks, right? And it's often thought about as the COVID that comes in and puts a spanner in the works and then you fall off a cliff and you become a COVID, you can't cope. But actually in that particular situation, even before COVID hit, there were a lot of patients I saw who fell off a cliff with an acute traumatic event, like the nanny living, leaving. So you don't have any more childcare, you're losing your job or a relationship straight or in the case of teenage children at school, bullying in schools can also be such um, an event. And that's quite interesting because it implies to me that the event doesn't need to be a, a virus. 
it can be, as you said, a trauma of some description. People often fixate on that particular singular event, that one trauma, and ignoring the trauma of the constant buildup of, if you like, levels of stress with the multifaceted nature of stress, because life is that we're living in. You just cope with three kids, a job, a spouse, household bills, increasing interest rates, mortgage costs, bills. You just cope, but you don't realize that actually all of these are tickling your autonomic nervous system into a fright or flight mode that is very unhealthy. And when you tip over that, you engage what's called the dorsal vagus, which is the first bit of your vagus or the bit of the vagus that is unhealthy. And you tip into freeze. When your body is frozen and you follow up the tip, you are not effective. You are not rest, rest. You cannot rest. Your body is freezing you to try and protect you, but that is not a space in which you can engage meaningfully with life. It's like turning turtle. You're going quiet. You're not engaging with life under the sheets. No energy to walk out of bed. Very different from that person who is on the incipient edge of failing, who then can turn back on a weekend, which all of us do, including me. You sleep for whatever, eight hours or seven hours, a real good night's sleep on the Friday and Saturday night after your long week at work, after doing whatever five hours sleeps, and you feel, I'm rejuvenated. That's not frozen. That is coming back to what we call ventral vagus. So the three components are sympathetic nervous system, dorsal vagus, which is frozen, and ventral vagus, the polyvagal theory, many vagi. And this polyvagal theory suggests that if you can identify where you are in this chain of events, sympathetic, frozen mode, which is dorsal vagus, or a very helpful mode, ventral vagus, to allow you to recover, recuperate, and respond to the world around you in a much more meaningful way, this is a way you can navigate. You can pull your rope to get down from sympathetic and dorsal into ventricle. You need to be aware of your autonomic nervous system and the states that you can fall into. Does that make sense, Murray? It does. It does. I would love to hear from you an example of how being in the, the dorsal vagal state can end up creating dysautonomia or POTS? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's a great question. When you are not attending to your needs in a meaningful way, and you turn turtle into a dorsal bagel state, let's say, and you are frozen and non-responsive and non-reactive to the world around you because that is where you're frozen, you might not attend to your needs as well. And so your physiology gets disrupted. You might not sleep in a relevant routine or sleeping pattern. You might not bother to drink as much water or to eat regular meals. The self-care goes out the window because you are only focused on so much preserving in a hibernation mode that everything else shuts down. And so your reaction to even helpful advice around you or, you, or your reaction to looking out the window and seeing sunshine after it's been raining for, for seven days, is not to bound out to the meadows and catch some sunshine. It's to say, oh, damn it, it's bright, it's glaring. Get the sheets over your head and you stay in there in that dormant state. Now that is very deconditioning for a person because we are ultimately meant to be social animals, right? We have to connect with the environment and people around us. We are born in this world 
with a strong need for connection. From the time we are born, we need our mothers. Otherwise, we're dead. So there's always that potential that if we become too isolated and we, the dot, the mode is an isolating, you turn turtle, you go in within in a very unhelpful uh, situation where you don't want to see anyone, you don't want to take any phone calls. And you can think of, I can think of my, my teenage daughter behaving in this way sometimes when she just closes the door, locks the room and doesn't want to be disturbed. And this is an emotional state that, and then if repeated, and then cause the autonomic nervous system to, to shut down its normal homeostatic function. And that can be the beginning of the spiral of the autonomic nervous system. So to come back is what is needed. The methods to come back are not so easy to communicate, but there are people out there writing about it, like Deb Dana, who writes a book called Anchored, which I'm reading at the moment. And it makes very compelling arguments as to the techniques in which you can frame where you are in terms of your vagal and autonomic state at any one time by asking a few simple questions, such as the world to me is question mark. So is the world threatening place? Is the world full of opportunities? Is the world somewhere I don't want to engage with? That gives you an idea at any one time what your state is like. And so by asking such questions, and if you read a book, you'll find more such questions, you can pick your way into your, you can unpick what state you are in and try and shift it with conscious awareness. So being aware, I think, is a really important bit of the healing process as we step away from the unhelpful states into ventral vagus, where much more responsive and able to take decisions and actions that are, are healing for ourselves. Yeah. So I, I love that about being cognizant of where you are and being able to witness that. I think that's very, very helpful and very important to being able to move forward. What I will say too, though, is that from my experience of working with people with MECFS and now long COVID, because they're very similar, if not the same thing, that there are periods where some of those people do need to turtle. And that's a part of the healing process. So I want to make sure that people understand that we're not saying that you need to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make yourself go out and run in the sun if that's going to make you worse, because it can lead to post-exertional malaise, which is very problematic and can take people back. So how would you mitigate that or find the balance there? What's your recommendation as far as? So, yeah, so that is a great point. Dorsal uh, vagus and the mental vagus states exist for a reason. And it's precisely right that when you're hurt, let's say you get involved in an accident or you break your leg, you do need to engage with dorsal vagus for a while because you need to recover. It's the prolonged, unnecessary prolongation of this state and the non-helpful reactions for either people around you or the situations in which you need to engage with meaningfully to engender your self-recovery that falls you back. But I completely agree. There are times when you need to turn turtle and there are times I need to turn turtle. Sometimes I sleep 14 hours and, and actually 
I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you my, my own COVID story. I was skiing in Aboreas, 1,800 meters last March, March, 2022. And I caught COVID and I thought COVID schlobit, I'm fit and healthy. I'll be out with the kids in three days. Just lock me in a room, which I did. By the third day, I could not breathe. And, and the SATS probe that I bought on day three, stupidly, I just didn't buy it on day one, showed a SATS of 82%. Uh-huh. And so I took an ambulance all the way down to ground level at Toulon's in uh, France. And immediately I could breathe again, but I had oxygen overnight, had a CT scan and half my left lung was filled with pneumonitis and a quarter of my right lung. And I thought like there and then I'm never going to work again because there I was, who's a fit and healthy, suddenly feeling inability to get oxygen in, <clears throat> even at ground level. And I tell you, I had six weeks, I had three days of hell, but six weeks of bliss afterwards because I turned turtle. And I said to myself, I am not going to engage with any of my stressors in life. And I made a conscious decision to to not do that. So I told my secretaries, no patient contact, no emails, just feel it for me. I don't want to hear. And I was sleeping 14 hours a day and taking steroids. And Actually, in that time, what I did was I breathe. I learned to breathe again in a in that vagal way, which is deep diaphragmatic, slow breaths through your belly and nasal, slow, six to eight seconds in, six to eight seconds out. And I was really bringing in a conscious effort that I will heal, like a conscious thought and feeling of positivity. And the best thing that taught me is I learned to say no. Because in the week before I went, we talk about this incipient stress, right? And that wraps up our segment for today. I hope that you found Dr. Lim's insights as enlightening as I did and as enlightening as everybody else who listened to this interview did. Now, if you want to hear the whole thing, which I highly recommend, and to delve deeper into long COVID and ME-CFS and the Holistic Healing Summit, with 35 plus other experts, you can head over to longcovidsummit.com or metfssummit.com. And there you're gonna find not only the full interview, but also a plethora of other resources to assist you on your healing journey. And as always, please, if you found value in this episode, share it with someone who might benefit from it. Really wanna spread the word of hope and help as well. And please remember that your journey to healing is a journey to self-discovery as well. I know that sounds cheesy, but it really is. Everybody that I've talked to who has fully recovered has said that they learned so much about themselves, which is really helpful. So keep shining your light and I will see you in the next episode.